Thank you, Brother Rick. <clears throat> All right. Well, welcome to our Bible class. We are currently going through the book of Daniel. And I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. And uh, I want to um, just go ahead and mention this really quick. I want you to write down a couple of dates. Um, we are restarting our discipleship training um, that several of you were participant in um, a couple of months ago. Uh, but we're going to be picking back up and going through uh, practicing 95-5 time, what I call 95-5 time. For those of you who don't, are unfamiliar with that term, it's quiet time. Um, this will be a, a series that we're doing on spiritual formation. There will be six sessions that we will do over the course of the next four weeks. And uh, the, the upcoming dates that we're going to have is this Thursday night at uh, between 6 and 7.30 p.m. And also uh, the following Sunday from 1.30 to, to 3. Probably about an hour and a half is what we're allotting. Once we kind of get the groove on, on how to um, practice solitude is what we're doing, learning how to practice prayer and quietness before the Lord and solitude, listening for God's voice, um, our sessions shouldn't be more than an hour. Uh, at a time. So, um, but I picked two dates this week because I know some of you have a, a easier time on Sundays than you do Thursdays, and some of you have an easier time during the weeknights. So, uh, but write those dates down. Um, this is a, an incredible, incredible tool uh, to help you in your, in your intimacy with the Lord. So, if you want to be a part of that, please make sure that you come this week. Also, too, I made a promise to you. Um, <clears throat> there are several of you that asked for notes. Um, I have two sets of notes in the back. I have three copies. I don't have a whole lot of copies, but I know there's only a couple of you that's asked for notes. But there's three copies of the introductory material that we did several weeks ago, and there's three copies of chapters, chapter one's notes, okay? And it's all back there in the back. Also, there's a sign-up sheet in the back uh, if you would like to have the notes sent to you digitally, okay? If you'd like to have them emailed to you every week, uh, just make sure you sign up in the back over there, okay? Um, for those of you at home, uh, welcome. Glad you're here in our Bible class. I always forget the people that are at home. I want to try to remember them. Um, I'm going to start off with a question this morning. If you could know your future, if you could be given a, a vision of your future, would you want to know? Okay. Anybody want to give any, any feedback on that? Yes, no, maybe so. Why not? If you could know your future, would you want to know? Oh, I don't think it's on. Sorry. If it's far enough in the future, <laughs> far enough, I want to know. If it's far enough it's in the future. It's what's between here and there that I don't want to know. Okay. Anyone else? Sandy? Get my steps in today. You got uh, it? All right, thank I, you. I think about so much prophecy as we read through the entirety of God's word and how God was so gracious to send prophet after prophet after prophet. I love you. Repent. So my desire, I, I'm glad we're restarting the 95-5 time. I have not been... Uh, disciplined about that and I need to get back going so I appreciate the restart but having the opportunity you know of course we have to do that all day every day Lord where have I gone wrong help me to see it and repent quickly and get back on track so yeah 
Um, he knows our future, but we always have choices every minute of every day. So, yeah. Okay. Good. Augustine, right here. Uh, no, I would not want to know, but I'll tell you a story. There was this man. Matter of fact, he's in this room, and uh, he told me my future if I didn't change my ways. And it was so specific, and it came to pass. Uh, so, no. Wouldn't want to know. I want to know. And every time he opens his mouth, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody else? We'll go ahead. I think Rick had a thought. I don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but I already know my future. Oh. I'm going to heaven, period. And that's all I need to know. And the I don't need to know about all the stuff that, in between right? because, quite frankly, Jesus is taking care of all that. That's a good way to put it. The, the circumstances are inconsequential, right? Very good. And my answer is I did want to know, but... Rick took it, so. Hey, you know what? That's okay. Well, the reason why I bring that up this morning is because in Daniel chapter 2, we're given an incredible prophecy um, that is, is recorded in the Bible. It's a dream that is given to this king, the king of the world at the time, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. And it lays out the future. It lays out in advance Gentile history. And, and that's why I was asking the question, if you could know your future, would you want to know? Well, guess what? There are places in the Bible, like Sandy said, that have prophecies that tell us about our future. So if you don't want to know, then you might want to find another class. I'm kidding. Uh, no, uh, you know, seriously. But we're going to be looking at some things this morning that's going to give you a little bit of insight, generally speaking, to humanity's future. Let's go ahead and get into the text, uh, organization of the book. I, I mentioned to you several weeks ago, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel are what are called historical chapters. This is basically giving you the narrative, right? Telling you what happened. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not prophetic things in there. We're about to read a dream that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, but primarily speaking, the first six chapters are historical. The next uh, six chapters um, are visions. These are all of the big main visions that you see recorded um, in the book. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back. I know that we got into the text last week. We just dipped our toes in it. This week, we're going to start back chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to get into a little bit more of the meat of it. And as we've always done every single week, if you have a thought, if you have a question, if you have a rebuttal, whatever it is, just make sure you stop, raise your hand along the way, okay? All right, let's get into it. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 2. <clears throat> in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. We tend to think that it's only one, but he probably had several. Have you ever had a night where you went to sleep and every time you go to sleep, it's almost like you're in the same dream and, and it scares you half to death, right? And have you, have you ever had a dream where you wake up and that dream just won't leave you? You go to work and you're still thinking about it all day long, okay? That's exactly what's going on here. It says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
Quick word about the servants. Um, it mentions in verse 2 that these servants are magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Now, we could go and, and look at every single one of those words, and they all carry different types of meanings, but they overlap a lot too. In other words, it's the dark arts. Does that make sense? These were the advisors, and these are the ones that supposedly were able to speak to the gods, and they were intermediaries and give insight into things for the king so he could make decisions and whatnot. And so naturally speaking, if Nebuchadnezzar has a stream, these are the people that you want to go to, right? Now, little caveat, side point, pause the class for just a moment. Remember in uh, the book of Matthew, no, Luke, the book of Luke, it says in the birth story of Jesus um, that there were magi that came to see Jesus. Remember that? We call it the three wise men. Were there three, actually? We don't know. Probably not, actually. They probably traveled in a caravan. We, we think they're three wise men because of why? Because they gave three gifts. Well, maybe that's all the gifts there were. Maybe there were five wise men. <laughs> maybe there were 12. We don't know. Okay, but here's the question. They're called magi. Magi comes from the same word as magician. And where did they come from? They came from the east. Have you ever wondered where in the world these people came from and how in the world they knew about this Messiah and how in the world did they know to come at this time? Well, let me give you a little insight. Because after Daniel is in the Babylonian uh, era, the Babylonian era comes to an end. And who takes over after that? The Medes and the Persians. You didn't know you were going to have history class this morning, did you? The Medes and the Persians. Well, guess what? Under the time of the Persians, Cyrus, later on, we're going to read about it in the book of Daniel, Cyrus is going to make Daniel second to the king again. He's going to rise to prominence in the kingdom again. And guess what? He gets put in charge of the magicians. He's the chief magi. So how in the world did they know to show up on that day? Because they, I think, now this is Tim Brown here, I think they knew the prophecies of Daniel. Because when you get to Daniel chapter 9, you find out there's a prophecy in there that tells you the very day that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's how they knew. They knew how to watch for the signs. I think that's where they learned it from, from the, from the book of Daniel, from Daniel. Okay. So there's all these different magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. The, the terms overlap. They do a lot of the same kinds of things. They're dark arts. Look at verse 3. He said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. So he said, Tell us the dream. We'll go back to the library. We'll research it. We'll pull out Freud. You know, <laughs> we'll get the dream dictionaries out. We'll figure it out. You know, just tell us the dream. Verse 5. Pull it up here. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it i will have to cut you into pieces and your houses will be turned into piles of rubble but if you tell me the dream and explain it you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor so tell me the dream and interpret it for me wow boy talk about culling down your workforce <laughs> a little bit right so not only do they have to tell them the interpretation of the dream, you've got to tell them the dream. Now, remember what I told you a couple Sundays ago, right? This is, 
these advisors were inherited. They were Nabonidus's, his daddies. These were his daddy's advisors. And then you don't know if you can trust your, these advisors, right? So he puts them to the test. Tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. Okay. Um, verse 7. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping that the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There's nobody on earth who can do what the king asks. Now, is that true? It's, that is true. <laughs> Nobody on earth can do this. Even Daniel, in a moment, when he interprets the dream, he's going to give credit to Daniel. And what's Daniel going to do? He's going to turn right around and give it to God. He says, you, O king, listen up. Daniel didn't do it. This is God. I want you to know who the real God is here. All right? So listen to what he says. Verse 10, the astrologers answered and said, there's nobody on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. little principle that comes out of Scripture sometimes. Sometimes even pagans can speak truth. Did you know that? Sometimes even pagans can speak truth. You remember Caiaphas in the New Testament? Remember when Jesus was being beaten? And they get to the very end and they, they do that mock trial and they condemn Jesus to death. And Caiaphas was the high priest and he stands up and he says, listen, basically it's better... For us to go ahead and do this and for one man to die for the nation of Israel than for the whole nation to perish. And, and I love it. I get chills when I think about it because Matthew puts a little parenthetical statement in there. And he says, he said this prophesying because he was the high priest that year. See, he was prophesying, speaking truth like a prophet, but he didn't even know he was speaking truth. Well, same thing here. Okay. Now, I've been hearing myself talk for quite a bit. Any thoughts or comments? Questions before we get going? Yes. Magicians are tricksters. Magicians are tricksters. Yeah. That's true. That is true. Growing up in the, in the, around the palaces, I'm sure he, ha he saw his fair share of yes men when it came to his father, right? Okay, very good. Verses 10 and 11. And let's go to verse 12. This made the king so angry <clears throat> and furious that he... Oh, okay, back up to verse 11. I'm sorry. What the king asks is too difficult. Nobody can reveal it to the king except the gods. I love that. Except the gods. And they don't live among humans. Verse 12. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now... Who does that include? Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Because these guys are classed, if you will, um, into this group of wise men. Okay? So this is a very dire situation for Daniel. We're about to see here in just a moment. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? 
Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So he rehashed everything, explained what happened about the dream and everything. At this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time so that he might be able to interpret the dream for him. Verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So in other words, boys, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, right? Big time prayer meeting tonight. We're, we're going to fast and pray until we get a resolve on this matter. Uh, what's, that, what's that acronym? Push. We're going to pray until something happens, <laughs> right? Okay. Verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed for the, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, think about this. You know, so oftentimes when we have difficult times happen in our lives, I, I hate it when I hear this. I know people don't mean it this way, but they'll say, uh, well, you know, all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray, right? Listen, prayer is your offensive weapon, <laughs> okay? Prayer is the number one thing that we can do when things go wrong, amen? Amen. So when Daniel hears this news, guess what? My, my, my uh, execution is on its way. What's the first thing Daniel does? He gets on his knees. Well, does that speak to you and me? To you and me? Yeah. Yes, it does. When things go awry and left and right in your life, the very first thing we need to be doing is getting on our knees to pray. So during the night, verse 19, a little behind up there. There we go. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. I suspect it probably went something like this. Daniel, Hananiah, all these guys prayed for probably hours. And at some point, they surrendered it over to the Father. And then they went to sleep. And then as he's sleeping, he begins to have what's called night visions. And this is where he begins to explain it. Now, it says, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Now, who's going to reveal the mystery? God is. Okay, that's the easy answer. Who actually reveals it? Spirit. Spirit. Ah, strike two. Now, it is a spirit. You're right. But it's an angel, a specific angel. Anybody know? Okay. Same guy that's been revealing everything to Daniel, Gabriel. Gabriel. Keep your finger there. Flip over to Daniel 8, 15, and 16. Daniel 8, 15, and 16. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. He wasn't a man. He looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli, that's the river, Uli River, calling Gabriel. Tell this man the meaning of the dream. One chapter over, Daniel chapter 9, 21 through 22. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Jesus is about to be born. He's there's an angel that shows up to announce to Mary that she's with child. Anybody remember the guy's name? Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel Gabriel's always got a message, doesn't he? Gabriel's, he's the preaching angel. <laughs> he's always got a message. He's always delivering a message every time you see him. Okay, Daniel 2, verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. 
And then what does Daniel do? After he gets the interpretation, he praises the Lord. He worships the Lord. Look at what it says here. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Now again, like we said a moment ago, notice where Daniel gives the credit. Verse 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has asked about. Now, I, the, text, the text doesn't say this, but in my mind's eye, all those other so-called wise men are in line listening to this. I don't know. Maybe they're not there. I hope they are, right? But they're all listening to this. Look at verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And we're going to get into the interpretation right now. That'd be a good cliffhanger if we stopped right there, wouldn't it? Y'all want to come back next week and get into the rest of this? No, it's too good, isn't it? It's just getting juicy, isn't it, Elisa? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into it. Now, I'm curious, in, in your Bibles, when it says uh, in verse 28, mine says, this is the NIV, I'm going to show the king, show King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. That's what mine says. What does yours say? The latter days. Anybody else have anything else? Okay. The latter days. That phrase, the latter days, the last days, is a phrase that is repeated many, many times in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, and it refers to the messianic events that will transpire that will lead to the final coming of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I want to make sure I say that again and very clearly. That phrase, last days, is a, is, a, is a term that comes with it a set of ideas. And that set of ideas are the events that are supposed to transpire on the earth before the Messiah returns. We're going to get into some of those events as we go through some of these prophecies. But I want you to understand that that's what latter days or last days means. When Jesus said a long time ago, he says, I will be with you even unto what? The very end of the age. At the end of the age will be latter days, last days, right? That's where this idea comes from. Okay, so let's get into the interpretation. <clears throat> Verse 29. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery 
has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Now, pause. Why did God give Nebuchadnezzar, not Daniel, the dream? Why did he give Nebuchadnezzar, not Daniel, the dream? Probably a lot of reasons, but one reason is... It was for him. It was a warning to him. Okay. God raised him up. You know, Jesus tells us there's no authority in heaven on earth except what God puts in place. So God brought Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem and the Israelites. It's all God. Good. Working all of it for good. Good. Do we have the microphone? I'm sorry, I forgot. He's got it. Thank you. I was just going to say that Nebuchadnezzar has no knowledge of Jehovah. That's right. So he's attributing everything to Marduk. That's right. So when he gets the dream, he expects Marduk to give an answer. There you go. And it doesn't come through Marduk. And Marduk doesn't have an answer, does he? I love that. Very good. Okay. So Marduk doesn't have the answer. So the point in all of this, remember why did God say that he did the, 12, the, the 10 plagues of Egypt? When you go back to the Exodus story, several hundred years before all this, he says, I'm doing this for a reason. In other words, he gets to the point where he starts hardening Pharaoh's heart because if God hadn't, he would have let go. He has plagues that he wants to do. Why? Because he says through this, I want the world to know who I am. I want the world to know who I am. So he gives this dream to Nebuchadnezzar because God's heart for Nebuchadnezzar is, I want him to know who I am. And what you're going to find out that's amazing is, is that through this process and through some things that you're going to see in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn who Jehovah God really is. Okay? All right, let's keep getting into it. Okay, verse 31. Make sure I got it up here. Okay, I got 31 up there and I'll, I'll skip. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. Its belly and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs of iron. And its feet were made of partly iron and partly clay. Now, if you and I had a dream like that, we would have said, man, I shouldn't have ate that pizza that late last night. Good gracious, what in the world's going on? So he has a vision that night, and he sees this right here. Well, that was a lot bigger on my computer screen than it is up there. Do you, can you guys see that okay? Okay, if you look very carefully, you can see it's a statue, okay? And I believe it's supposed to represent mankind or just Nebuchadnezzar himself. It's a statue of the king. The head of gold, he says, that's you. Okay, you, you are the, the head of gold. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just read the text, but I want, you to hear, I want you to hear what Daniel says the interpretation of this image is. Because you'll notice every single one of the sections of the body of this image is made of different metals, different materials. And it goes from super expensive to cheap and common. Does that make sense? Okay, keep that in your mind. Let's keep reading. Verse 34. Verse, did I skip? No, that's it. 34, let's read together. While you were watching, a rock was cut out 
but not by human hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them all away without even leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we'll interpret it for the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Stop right there. Who has given him his dominion? God has given him his dominion. It did not happen because of him. It didn't happen because his daddy, Nabonidus, you know, happened to go down there. And it didn't happen because Nebuchadnezzar defeated Pharaoh Necho and, uh, you know, liberated themselves from the Assyrians. It didn't happen because of all that. He says, it's because God is the one who gave you this power. And the fact that he's receiving a dream that lays out all of Gentile history in advance is proof of that fact. It's proof of that fact. Does that make sense? Because he's the only true God that can do that. Okay? Okay. Um, verse 38. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all and you are the head of gold. So if we look back at this statue, the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king. The king represents the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Babylon. Okay. So gold at the top of the statue represents what? The Babylonian Empire. First one. The one that's existing and reigning at the time of Daniel. That's the first part of the statue. The bell hasn't rung yet, so I think we can go a teeny, teeny bit further. What? Are there two bells? Okay, so I'm safe. I'm good, right? All right, let's keep going. Okay, so this will show you the, the Babylonian Empire. Um, if you look over toward the, the left-hand side, you see Egypt. That was the Egyptian Empire. Again, not to be redundant, but Pharaoh Necho was the pharaoh at the time. Up to the north, you see the Assyrian Empire in orange. Actually, I think that's Mitanni, the Hittite Empire. And then the purple is the Babylonian Empire. Babylon was a vassal state under the Assyrian Empire along with Egypt under the Assyrian Empire. And then when the Assyrian Empire fell, when Nabopolassar uh, defeated him, um, him and his general, his son, Nebuchadnezzar, took over that whole thing. And that becomes the first world empire on the face of the planet. The actual first world empire on the face of the planet. We call that the Babylonian Empire. That's the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Um, uh, Abraham came from on the right-hand side down there where the two rivers meet. There's a city there called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, the Chaldeans. Remember, Chaldees is the zip code. Babylon is the city. Remember that? How many of you realize that Abraham came from the same area as Babylon? Fascinating, isn't it? Both of you think so. Good. Okay. Let's keep reading. Okay. Keep reading with me. Uh, So uh, let, me get, let me get too far ahead of myself here before we have time to stop. Okay, so he says, You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the first kingdom. You're the head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar leads a revolt. They take over the whole empire. 
they rule and reign for roughly 70 years. 70 years. Remember how long they were in Babylonian captivity for? 70 years. It's almost as if he's holding up the Babylonian empire just to keep them alive long enough so that the Israelites can be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Right? Because what's going to happen immediately after? Cyrus takes over and Cyrus has a different political program than the Babylonians. They don't believe in taking people out from their lands. They believe in sending them back home. Okay. Well, the bell got me, guys. The bell got me. Okay. So what I'm going to do is we're going to start next week and we're going to go through the rest of the interpretation of the dream. Amen? Amen. Okay. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you here in just a moment. Huh?